Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while, right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights that legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast, and now the great growler, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, guys? <laughs> I heard that little noise escape from you. Then it sounded like a little growl. I liked it. What can I say? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren. And this is Jam Session, the podcast, version 296, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. God, what if that does become your voice as you get older? I don't know. Hey guys, it's me, Sean Shock Taylor. <laughs> Would that be more money? I don't or the know. Same chick. It was the same chick. You c- then you can keep this shit. I mean, my God, it's- dude, you you sound like Louis Armstrong. <laughs> Sing. Yeah, the skies are bright. <laughs> That's awesome. That's exactly what you sound like. Oh, this is going to be a fun podcast. (laughs) What a wonderful life. (laughs) All right, maybe not that part, but you hit it for a second. Oh, my, we got a lot to talk about. Cowboys 3-1, and they got the Rams coming up this week, which all of a sudden seems like another winnable game for them. We'll take a look at that. We got Todd Archer from ESPN. He's going to jump on with us the very latest. He is out at the star. We'll get his thoughts on that. Just a lot to dive into, but we always tell you right off the top about Greening Law. Robert Greening, I've been working with them for well over a year now. And again, I told you my personal experience with what they do. If you've been hurt in a car accident, if you've been hurt on the premises of a business, they are a personal injury lawyer. It costs you nothing to find out if you have a case. If you've been hurt somewhere, you ought to just give them a call. Explain to them what happened to you, and and they'll take you through the process. They ask you a few questions, and again, that consultation's free. So to me, if you think you have a case, you might as well just call and find out. Dude, that's what you should do anytime you're involved in an accident with an 18-wheeler, an apartment complex, a residential business, a business anywhere. Just call them up, man. Hit them up. Tell them the details and say, hey, what do you think? And if they bring you on as a client, you know, Matt will tell you it's a good day because it can be a complicated process. It can be a little bit intimidating. It can be a little bit confusing. And who doesn't want to walk with somebody holding a flashlight saying, yo, here's the path we need to go down. Just follow me. Everything's all good. Everybody would want somebody, somebody like that. The green team can do that for you. 
Yeah, that's exactly what they do. They make it easy and they handle all that crap behind the scenes. They really, and they keep tabs on you and they call you and they email you like, hey, how you feeling? Want to make sure we know that you just had another appointment. If that didn't work, let's find something to help you. They do that for you. And it's fantastic. It's Greening Law. You can give them a call right now. Again, that consultation is absolutely free. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. The Cowboys have a quarterback controversy, apparently. Seems like a lot of fans want this to be a controversy. And I think it's interesting because we were kind of throwing this around, and you had an article in the Dallas Morning News about Cooper Rush and the idea of why Cooper Rush taking Dak's job is not a reasonable conversation for you guys to be having. Yet I can promise you this, and I know this, because I know a guy who, for whatever reason, believes that Cooper Rush is better than Dak and that the Cowboys would be better off going with Cooper Rush. Like, he actually believes that. That's a a friend of mine, and I got into an argument with him about it on Sunday in our little chat group, and I'm just like, dude, what are you doing? It's like, Dak Dak can't make that throw. Oh, look at that play. Crush taking him down the field. I'm like, what are we doing here? What is this? I mean, like a lot of us... um you know, fans are prisoners of the moment for, for much of the time, bro. And that's why I wrote what I wrote, and that's why I wrote it, <clears throat> excuse me, with the tone in which I wrote it. Did you like the tone, man? I did, yes. You even because used Dak Hatehive in your article. Yes. I mean, because the tone of, this, of the article was just like, let me tell y'all why y'all are foolish to think like this. And, and I talked about y'all, because I said y'all about three or four times, because I wanted y'all to really get it and know who I was talking to. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of things that go into Cooper Rush playing the way he is that doesn't happen with Dak plays. And so they're not even playing the same game. For example, what did, if you remember in general, Matt, and this is not a rhetorical question, you're supposed to answer this. What in general did your boy Mike McCarthy say at the podium after the Tampa Bay game? Uh, or no, it was I think it was after the Cincinnati game as it related to Kellen Moore. I don't remember. Basically, he said, hey, Kellen's had a lot of freedom to be really aggressive. We got to dial that back a little bit. Meaning, Cooper Rush can't be throwing the ball as much as we did with Dak, and so we got to make sure that we maintain the balance to keep him in decent down and distance on second and third down so he has a chance to succeed. Secondly, people are like, oh, look at how he attacks downfield. He's got those deep balls going. Look at him. They're not playing the same coverage as they play with Dak because they respect Dak as a passer. They don't respect Cooper Rush as a passer. Yeah. So the game plan is let's stack it up. Let's stop the run with eight and a half guys and see if this guy named Cooper Rush, who's never really played, can beat us with the pass. Thus far, he has. And that's why, what did I tell y'all from the beginning? It typically takes four to six game tapes for defensive coordinators to figure out what you do well, and then they take it away and see if you can go do something else well. Um, they got 100 game tapes on Dak or so, and he's still doing what he does. That tells you a lot about him and any quarterback that's lasted that long. And then finally, uh, they're playing from ahead with uh, with Cooper, man. They trailed the whole, you know, if you, any quarterback, when you spend a, uh, most of the game playing from behind, you're going to struggle because the pass rush is better. What defense coordinators do is more complicated, more sophisticated. When you play from ahead, you get to dictate everything. Uh, they're getting a lot of gains on play-action pass on first downs because of the threat of the run. They hadn't done as much of that with Dak. So it's not that Cooper Rush is doing anything that should be criticized. It's that if you really understand football, 
and this is not a condescending tone, it's a factual tone. If you really understand football and the nuance of the game, then you'll know why it's a silly conversation to say, oh, Cooper Rush should be starting over Dak, or, or I wonder if, if Dak gets his job when he comes back. There's a reason why one dude makes $40 million and another dude makes $1 million. Yeah, and I thought you had a bunch of really interesting points in this, like you're kind of talking about, but you expand on that a little bit. And not only has Dallas been playing from ahead most of the time, but to your point in the article, of the 89 passes that Cooper Rush has thrown in the three games that he's been the starter, only 12 of them have come with Dallas playing from behind. So again, 77 of his 89 passes, Dallas has had a lead. You talk about he hasn't seen a lot of blitzes. He's only been sacked twice. He hasn't been roughed up quite a bit. And so you you start talking about things like that, and those are reasons why, plus a little bit more of the conservative game planning that are helping Cooper Rush, which is smart coaching. And again, you have to kind of give credit to McCarthy and Kellen Moore for understanding what they're working with back then. And that's where, like, I did, I would have never have guessed that, that 12 of his 89 passes have come from playing from behind. And that is a colossally different type of game plan when you are playing from behind and having to throw to get back in it. Well, yeah. I mean, just off the rip, when you're playing from behind, what have you got to do, Matt? You got to make more aggressive throws. You got to take chances. You got to do things you would normally do. And so what does that lead to? It leads to turnovers. It also leads to incompletions because instead of the check down for six yards, you're trying to keep the you're trying to get the deep dig route for 18 yards. The check down would have been complete. The dig round's incomplete, and that's third and long instead of third and short. Things like that, man. And so, you know, I say it all the time when we're dealing with people on Twitter or uh, the occasional email I get uh, from time to time. You know, we try to have nuanced conversations. Like, you know, you just, you know, and that's that's what leads to good conversations about football. And then you can really go deep and have a great conversation with somebody, whether you agree with them or not. But when you just stand on the surface, man, it's hard to have a great conversation because your points are just kind of uh, surface. Yeah, and again, this is we, – we have to keep this in mind. This is not unknown fourth-round pick Dak Prescott getting an opportunity. This is a guy who was undrafted in 2017, has been in the NFL since 2017, and those of you that know how to do some math, you can add all that up, and yes, he is in his sixth season in the NFL, Cooper Rush. This is a guy that anybody could have had at any time, multiple times throughout the course of his career, and yet nobody ever has. And you look at this, he knows the offense, he knows all these guys because he's been around this organization for a few years, and he's playing great. He is playing very, very well. I think you have to be impressed with the way that he has played and the poise of which he is playing with. But to me, I think the, the wanting to jump on the Cooper Rush bandwagon is more taking shots at Dak than actually anybody truly believing that this guy who's been in the NFL for six years is magically the answer who turns 29 here coming up next month. I think what we're seeing is, and and I think that they are going to have to ask themselves this question. This is Dak Prescott's seventh year in the NFL, and there's not a lot of quarterbacks. It is very rare for quarterbacks to take a team to a championship if he doesn't do it early in his career. And you start to wonder, is it worth investing in another massive contract for a quarterback who has not taken us anywhere near there? We've gotten to the divisional round playoffs with this guy, but we can't even get to a conference championship. I've always believed that Dak can do it. 
but we haven't seen him do it. And at some point, the Cowboys have to seriously ask themselves that question. And I think a lot of Cowboys fans are expressing they want Cooper Rush because they don't feel that Dak Prescott is that guy. And that frustration is really at a height right now because of how much money he has begun making. You know what? That's a that's a legitimate point. That's a fair point. That's a point that will come up again over the next year or so uh, when it's time for Dak to re-up. Yeah, it's already almost that time again. Um, and with the way contracts are going, he's going to be in line for, you know, 45 to 48 million a year, uh, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, I, th- I think the question is, do you think he can do it um, as, as an organization? If And how about this, Matt? If we pay him, can we put the pieces around him to get it done? Um, and then the bigger question, to me, the bigger question is – Okay, what do we do at quarterback? Because you can draft a young guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's like a lottery ticket. Well, I hope this one. I hope this scratch off wins, because you can draft him number one overall, Baker Mayfield, and it doesn't mean anything. You can take him in the top five, Sam Darnold, doesn't mean anything. I mean, you know, there's just no rhyme or reason to whether guys hit or not. Some of it's about who's coaching them. Some of it's about the system that they're put in. Some of it's just about the system they played in in college. It doesn't really translate because they were looking over to the coach for everything. All they did was drop back and throw passes to wide open receivers. Um, and so we, we've, I've said it. Other people have said it. Dude, once you're on that quarterback journey, you just never know when you're going to get off. And I got to tell you, Matt, We've been just tremendously fortunate and blessed in Dallas-Fort Worth that you've basically gone, basically, for 50 years, bro, you've basically gone Starback to White to Aikman to Romo to Dak. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Basically. And the longest stretch where you were, like, on the journey was, like, Five or six years. Now go talk to some people in Cleveland, in Miami, in Buffalo, and see if they can do what I just did, quarterback to quarterback over 50 years. Because the answer is, hell no. That's the answer. Yeah, like that's Buffalo, true. just off the top of my head, Buffalo went from like 98 to 2020 or 2019. Whenever they had a Josh Allen, they went from Jim Kelly to Josh Allen. 20-some years, bro. <laughs> yeah, and again, you. it is an interesting conversation, and it's more so for the offseason of when they're going to have to decide at some point. Maybe you get another year into this before you have to sign them. Maybe they try to do something now, but the reality of it being, do you believe this is a guy who can take you where you want to go when it is extremely rare for quarterbacks the older that they become, and they haven't done it. And I'm not even talking about winning a Super Bowl. Like, John Elway didn't win a Super Bowl until the end of his career. He took the Broncos early in his career. By the time John Elway had been seven years in, they had been to the Super Bowl a couple of times. You can, you can look at a variety of, of NFL quarterbacks over the course of time that even if they didn't win it early in their careers, they might have gotten to them. And then they won it like in their ninth season. But they had shown they could take a team over the hump to at least put them in that era. And and granted, look, there are quarterbacks that have done it. There's certainly quarterbacks that have done it. The problem with this thing with Cooper Rush is everybody wants to point. Uh, Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner was an undrafted. Nobody knew who he was. Kurt Warner hadn't been in the, in the NFL for six years when that happened. 
Kurt Warner had been bouncing around like he, I think he was a practice squad guy for the Packers and then bounced around Arena League. That was his second season with the Rams. When that, when that happened, when they went in 99 and won the Super Bowl. I mean, it's just, it's a lot different. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for the Cowboys, they will have to ask that question. Do we believe that Dak Prescott now, I mean, hard enough to win a Super Bowl. Now you're going to say, do we believe we can pay a guy this much money and he's going to go somewhere and do something he was not able to do younger in his career when most quarterbacks do it by that point? Bro, it's a, it's a fascinating question. It's a fascinating issue. And it's, uh, dude, it's a hard decision to make because it's not like whatever you decide, it's not like you think he's a bad quarterback. Right. You just wonder whether he can get it done and whether your current situation will allow him to get it done. And some of it has to be what is the talent like around him? And do you really have the talent to get it done? Um, and, you know, that's that's just an incredibly difficult question to answer right now because we don't have all the parts. Yeah, and, and have, that's the problem, right? I mean, we look at all these young quarterbacks that are coming out and we've seen who are, who's winning Super Bowls. And take Tom Brady out of the equation. You look at all these other teams that are winning Super Bowls in recent years, and it, it's one of those guys. I mean, it's one of those young guys that comes in the team capitalize on it early in his career and he steps in and makes a team that was pretty good and maybe you've got some money to invest in other areas and you win it on that rookie contract in their first five years in the league dude i mean philadelphia's trying to do it with jalen hurts right now yeah they are trying to do it because i don't know i mean the way he's playing i guess he is going to end up getting a 40 million dollar deal although i wouldn't have guessed it a year ago yeah, he's got to do it for the entire season. But, I mean, my God, he has just jumped up to a completely different level. I mean, that dude is on a completely different level right now. And he's doing it with his legs and he's slinging it around. It's not just, oh, I can run anymore. He's doing a bunch of different things. But it, it's just, it, it's interesting, man. It is really interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, you can look at, like, Matt Stafford, who won the Super Bowl last year, in whatever year in his league, what is that, his 12th or 13th year, but then you go, okay, well, if Matt Stafford had played for an organization worth the crap earlier in his career, might they have done more? I don't know. And, and, and that's, that's where it gets really, really interesting. Is it going to be worth it for the Cowboys to finally, at some point in the next year or two, try and invest in a first-round quarterback? which they have not done since 1989 when they took Aikman. Think about that. I mean, nobody does that. I mean, it, it, it's it, it, the, the Saints. The Saints are another organization. The last time they took a quarterback in the first round was Archie Manning and like whatever that was, 1972. You know, I mean, it, generally speaking, teams at some point, like the Packers did that. I mean, the Packers did it with Aaron Rodgers believing, okay, well, whenever Favre's gone. Now they're doing it with Jordan Love. I don't know if they really believe in Jordan Love anymore, but the Packers are that one organization that's willing to eat, essentially, a first-round pick. And I wonder if the Cowboys should consider doing that in the next year or two in one of these quarterback classes. Do we take a first-round quarterback with the idea that we're going to get ready to move on from Dak at some point? Dude. I, you know, I haven't really seen everybody point to Aaron Rodgers, but those scenarios haven't really worked out all that great. Um, seems to me if you decide to make that move, you just have to, get, you just have to let Dak go. Yeah. And go and go get the quarterback, but again, and you know we'll talk about this again in the off season. But even if you do that, Matt, what will history say? History say you better get a dude in the top ten if you really want him to be that guy. Very true. Yeah, like it's not just first round. It's you need it if you want the the odds are you need a dude in the top ten to get that to become that guy. Yes, there are outliers. Yes, there's a Romo. Yes, there's a Dak. 
yes, there's a Kurt Warner, yes, there's a Tom Brady, but the fact that I can rattle those guys off mean there ain't a lot of them. Most NFL starters, just go look, and I haven't done it this year, just go look at the starters in this year's NFL, probably 25 of them in the first round, and the rest of them are sprinkled out. The other seven are, sp- are sprinkled out over the, you know, the, other, uh, the other six rounds. And of those in the first round, most of them are probably top ten picks. Yeah, man, it is. It's a, it's a fascinating look of what the Cowboys are going to do here. But I think that entire conversation, it, it really goes back to why so many people want to jump on to Cooper Rush because it goes back to what a lot of us do. It's like the lottery, right? It, it's the unknown. It, we don't know. We know that Dak hasn't been able to get it done in six years. We know that. And we, and we can look at it and say, well, this is why or this is why. We don't know Cooper Rush. All we've seen Cooper Rush do is win games. So I think it's a lot easier for us to sit here and go, well, hell, man, if they roll with Cooper Rush, why couldn't he win? He hadn't shown that he can't. And that's where we're at with this Cooper Rush and everybody wanting this to be quarterback controversy and everybody wanting to believe, oh, you got to stay with Cooper Rush. I mean, he, he's <laughs> Dak 2016, man. He's this dude. If he keeps winning, you cannot put Dak back in there. Nah. Um, bro, we're, we're prisoners of the moment. Go back and... Go back and look at Dak's highlight tape. Just go to YouTube and Google in Dak 2021 highlights and just go remind yourself what the dude did. He can play the position pretty <laughs> damn well. And we'll see. I mean, again, you wonder, is this the year with a defense like this? And we're only four games in and you try not to get your mind going crazy on this, but this is a really, really good defense. And we have seen lesser quarterbacks than Dak win rings because they played with a really, really good defense. We'll see. I don't know what's going to turn out, but so far through four games, we knew they were going to have to win with defense, and they've done a good job of that. Now you get the Rams, you get the Eagles. I guess we'll put a lot more stock into this team if they're 5-1 and one a couple of weeks from now than we do at 3-1, and one, because we like to sit here and say they haven't beaten anybody because we just want to discredit Cincinnati like they were just some trash team, even though they went to a Super Bowl a year ago. I, I don't know how it works, but that's where we're sitting at right now. So we continue here. And, of course, as always, Freeway Tire Shop, man, these guys have been with us since the beginning. JR and his crew are a big part of why the podcast is even possible. And I'll tell you this, and Jacques can tell you this, if you are looking for a mechanic, and and we all need work done to our cars, oil change, tire rotation, state inspection, those are things you have to have on a regular basis. Then sometimes you run into the other crap, and and when that happens, you go, oh, man, what am I going to do? Freeway Tire Shop, because he handles it all, and and you can trust everything he's doing. Dude, it's all about trust for me, man. I treat the mechanic like a doctor in terms of trust. Uh, If I don't trust you, I don't go to you. And with JR, man, you can trust him to uh, diagnose what's wrong with your car. You can trust him to use quality parts to fix it, which, believe it or not, not everybody does. You can trust him to charge you a fair price. We know people don't always do that. And you can trust him beside to stand behind his work, man. And we know daggone well people don't always do that. So he takes care of the four T's for me, and then I trust him uh, implicitly with my cars. You should, too. About five minutes north of downtown, right off of 35 in Commonwealth. Go by CJR and, uh, you know, get that happy feeling I get. There it is, man. It is Freeway Tire Shop right there. Easy to get to. You can request a quote, schedule an appointment online at freewaytireshop.com. Bruce Biltong, we are the only podcast that Bruce has ever worked with. And you guys have been so awesome for them trying the Biltong. We've heard from many of you that are like, man, I'll never go back to beef jerky. It's like beef jerky 
but it isn't. It's a traditional South African air-dried meat. It's more tender. It's more savory. And I will tell you this. If you like beef jerky, you are going to absolutely love biltong. And the one to get is Brews Biltong, B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G.com. And it's funny because we've had Steve on the podcast a couple of times, and he's such a cool dude. He was this rocket scientist who was making this in his garage, and his friends liked it so much, he quit his job as a rocket scientist to launch this company so that more people could try Biltong. I mean, how great is that? Think about that. Think about that, dude. That's impressive. Uh, I like to call them butt strips because that's the uh, part of the uh, yes, sir. Uh, animal that they take it and they cut it into strips. It's delicious. Savory to me is really the best word. I rock with the sliced biltong. I mean, it's delicious. Uh, 230 calories in a two-ounce pouch, 30 grams of protein. That's rocking. You want guns like me? Get yourself some biltong. If you haven't seen my guns, well, you should have. <laughs> it's Bruce Biltong. Check them out online, man. BrewsBiltong.com. Use the promo code JAM15. It's J-A-M-15. You get 15% off your order every time, which is awesome. So we're going to take this trip around the block. And for those of you that are in the DFW area, you know, it's funny. I always try to explain this to people. And we're about to see one of the great sports spectacles ever. I was talking to people on my show about this today. To me, if you ever get a chance and you haven't been to Texas OU, at some point, if you are a fan of sports, you got to go and experience what that's all about. And it, it, there's there's really nothing like it on the major college level. They try to do that with Georgia, Florida a little bit in Jacksonville. It's just not the same. This is, I mean, you're talking about 250,000 people in the middle of the State Fair of Texas against two programs that, generally speaking, are... Uh, ranked elite level helmet brands, whatever you want to call it. But man, the state fair of Texas is one of those one, things. Yeah. I was just going to say one state in crimson and cream intermixed intermingled. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal, bro. Yeah, it is. It's I mean, it's really wild to sit there and, and sit and see that one side of the stadium is completely burnt orange and the other side of the stadium is completely crimson and cream and they do it around the end zones so they meet at the 50 yard line i mean it, it's it's a trip what just being there and, and the state fair is, how many have you been to i've I'm just sure. been to one i've been to one and well i tried to go to a couple of others and one time i was going to sneak in and chris is like no, no no don't do that even though to this day i believe i could have climbed that tree jumped the fence taken off and they never i'd have just blended in okay i gotta ask you chris is the noted rule breaker who is he to tell you not to break a rule Ah, you know, sometimes I probably was a little bit more crazy than even Chris was back in the day. You know what? what? I have heard those stories. Yes, I've had some crazy in me, and and Chris sometimes would be the rational voice. But, yeah, he and I went together for the 2008 game. That was badass when they won 45 to 34 when Texas won, and it was a fantastic time. Just a, a really cool experience. But it's funny because for people who aren't from Texas, You've probably heard of the State Fair of Texas, and it just opened up this past weekend, and it'll be going on for a couple of weeks. The longest-running State Fair in the country. It's three weeks long, and there it, it's weird. There is absolutely nothing like the State Fair of Texas. And for whatever, I mean, when they talk about everything's bigger in Texas, I think the State Fair is probably one of the best examples of exactly what that means. Because I've I, the State Fair of Louisiana, like, you can drive by it. It's nothing. The State Fair of Alabama just happened out here. Nobody was talking about it. And it goes for like nine days. 
and nobody would even like nobody goes but the state fair of texas and maybe it's because we're from the dfw area where it is but man that thing is such a freaking big deal and then people from out of state will go and they're like oh my god this is incredible what this is nuts dude dude i'm pretty sure i'm not positive but i'm pretty sure I drove past the State Fair of Mississippi the other day. <laughs> I bet you did. It would have been in Jackson, right? Dude. And I was like, is that it? I mean, there's more stuff over there than usual, but let me just say, I don't think anybody's going there. No, man. Like, nobody does. And, and yeah, okay, so it says that the Mississippi State Fair kicks off this week. I'm trying to okay, see so, exactly so when it kicks is off. So what happened is they were probably putting the stuff together yeah when i drove past it oh my god so, and like you see the pictures of it and it, i mean this looks like a carnival dude that's like, what i thought it was what are we doing and then i was like oh my god i bet this is the state fair it is yeah you were exactly right that that would have been the state <laughs> fair i mean it's a nothingness it's literally a nothingness no it looks like the let me tell y'all y'all from my part of town oak cliff it looks like what they put up in the Red Redbird parking lot from time to time. And and your kids, when you drive, hey, can we go to that? And you go, no, I don't want you to die. <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah, I don't want you to either. I mean, this is, so this, the Mississippi State Fair starts on October 6th and goes 10 days. And the lady fiance just texted me and said, you're correct. I've been many times. It sucks. She goes, that's how the state fairs are except Texas. Yeah, see, and that's the thing. Like, people come to Texas. I remember when we first moved back a few years ago and she moved with me from Alabama, she was blown away. Like, she's like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. And then, like, all of her family members that would come visit us, they all went to the State Fair of Texas, and they couldn't believe what they were experiencing. That's a big deal for them. They're always trying to go. Yeah, and it's crazy, man. I mean, it's – when you look at it compared to other states, it's just – it's nuts. And I bring it up because it is ongoing, and everybody always wants to talk about the food and everything – so I was looking at this. So the ones this year that won all the awards, and so there's three different awards. You have winner for best taste savory, winner for best taste sweet, and winner for most creative. And the best taste this year for savory went to the fried charcuterie board. Jeez. I mean, what are we doing? We're frying a charcuterie board. It's chopped up fresh mozzarella, salami, and crisp green apples. Tossed in olive oil, balsamic vinegar, and Italian herbs, and then wrapped in a wonton wrapper and deep fried. I mean, I don't really even have any words for that. <laughs> I mean, there you go. So there's that. The other one, the best taste sweet is called peanut butter paradise. And I got to admit, this looks freaking awesome. It is peanut. It's a, it's a deep fried honey bun. Caramel is injected directly into the honey bun. Then it's topped with creamy peanut butter and layered with peanut butter treats such as Reese's Pieces, crushed butter, finger crumbles. And then that is topped with peanut butter cups, drizzled caramel, and a cloud of powdered sugar. How many <laughs> bites of that you taking, Matt McQueen? I think I could do one before my heart explodes. I was going to say, I'd re- I really had you. The over and oh. under was half a bite. Oh, my uh, God, dude. Because I couldn't see you taking two. A honey bun injected with caramel in it. And that's just the base. <laughs> God. Dude. I will say, so our buddies that own Smokey John's Barbecue, Brent and Juan, they submitted the ultimate Brookie Monster, and it was a finalist for most creative, or excuse me, for best taste sweet. 
And the Brookie Monster that they made and that you can get at the fair this year is crispy, chewy chocolate chip cookies layered with Oreos and marshmallows. That is covered in triple chocolate brownie batter and baked together into a super Brookie and then battered and deep fried. And then showered in powdered sugar and served with a scoop of vanilla ice cream topped with cheesecake crumbles and strawberry sauce. I mean, my God. Jesus, that sounds incredible. All these sound amazing. I mean, they, but I mean, again, your head would explode. Like you have one bite of heart. Right. Your, your arteries, you know, all of it. So the, you'd be like one of those, one of those uh, villains on the boys. Um, you would be like just, that, yeah. It just explodes. It'd be like the, like the the sugar content from all this would be like that little guy who crawls inside you and just blows you up. Dude, I knew you were going to pull that one out. <laughs> How can you not? So the most creative went to the cha-cha-chata. And this is a milkshake inspired by the cha-cha. It starts with two kinds of milk and vanilla ice cream blended to perfection with a top-secret horchata recipe. It is then poured into a cup rimmed with caramel and cinnamon and topped with a Texas-sized dollop of whipped topping. That, then, is dusted with crushed candy, a sprinkle of cinnamon, and deep-fried arroz con leche bites, which is milk rice bites. I was going to say, what the hell are those? Yeah, arroz con leche is essentially rice with milk. And then the straw that you drink it through is a churro. (laughs) <laughs> I guess. I mean, what are we doing? This is welcome to the state fair of Texas. This is why people around the country go to their Come state to fairs and just want to burn it down because nobody's doing anything like this. No, it's 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 evolved into a big deal here. I don't know where I can't speak about everybody else's, but it's a big deal here. Yeah, I mean, reality of it is everybody that lives in DFW knows this. They still have fair day. Like school districts in, te- in the DFW area in Texas get a get a day off of school to go to the fair. Dude, yeah, that's a big deal. Who am I going to the fair with? Yeah, I mean, I remember having that back in the day. And, you know, that's the funny thing is like when you grow up in the area, I've been to the fair so many times, like with the lady, I think I took her once and then her sister came and visited and we went. And then after that, I was like, look, if you want to keep going, just do you mind if I don't go? <laughs> I was like, I've been enough. I don't need to experience this anymore, I feel like, personally. I'm kind of with you, bro. Like, I, I used to pay my daughter to take the other kids. Like, hey, here's some money. Go yeah, ahead. like, you, you guys go and knock yourself out and get the crazy-ass sugar rush. But it's fun. I mean, look, I get it. If you've, if you've never been to the State Fair of Texas, I definitely think – it's at least worth trying to experience at one point in your life because it's it's incredibly unique and there's just I, I've never seen or heard or even slightly considered there's anything else remotely like this anywhere in the country. I would do that and I agree with that. Which is kind of badass. So State Fair of Texas, check it out. The other news, did you see this one? The coal miner's daughter, Loretta Lynn, has passed away. Oh. At the age is- of ninety years old. Sissy Spacek. Yeah, she played her. Sissy Spacek played her in The Coal Miner's Daughter, that movie. You're right. Uh, So sad. So sad. Yeah, did you know Sissy Spacek, by the way, was born in Quitman, Texas, out there in East Texas. And if you drive into Quitman, there's a big sign that says, home of Sissy Spacek, even though I don't think she's lived there in forever. It don't matter. They need they they want their credit and damn it they're going to get it. Yeah, I remember that because my grandparents lived out there when they were still alive. Speaking of speaking of sp- sissy SpaceX, she's seventy two years old. 
Is she now? Yeah, I would have thought she's old. She looks way older than that, I think. You know, I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah. Yeah, but that was what her claim to fame. I guess that in, well, Carrie. Remember that, that Stephen King movie, Carrie? She was in Ooh. that. Yeah, they've remade that a couple times because that's a... Uh, that's a dark flick right there. Yeah, man, it is. But it's, anybody who's bullied should should watch it. Yeah, you don't want to bully people, man, because they one day will come back and like light you on fire or something. Hey, don't ruin it for people. Well, whatever they do, I'm not saying that. I mean, Firestarter. There's all kinds of different movies where you you know you piss off the wrong person, they got a superpower, you're screwed. <laughs> Pretty much. Which, by the way, have, did you wrap up Dahmer finally? Did you were you able to see the whole thing? Uh, yeah, man. yeah. yeah. That's one of those, I don't know, it's, I don't, at the end of it, I'm just like, wow, okay. I mean, I was looking up and reading about all the victims and stuff. I think we, we talked about that a couple of times, and there's a reason why it's only 10 episodes, and you're like, okay, good. I don't, I'm good. Maybe we didn't need anything else, I feel like. No, it, I mean, we, we pretty much saw it all. <laughs> yeah yeah and you see i mean all the way through his death and all the the court proceedings and everything that happens to him and you know kind of what happens in the aftermath just real briefly of after he even was was killed in prison and all that no it was a uh it was a wild it was a wild ride bro that's that's really all i can say about it i will say the one thing that jumped out and i didn't know this and i was like no way and we looked it up sure enough John Wayne Gacy, the infamous serial killer, was killed yeah. in prison on the exact same day that Jeffrey Dahmer got baptized in prison on the exact same day as a solar eclipse. That's something that's something wild going on there, bro. That's something really wild going on there. Like really wild. You just do not expect that. I was like, no way. Like Dahmer got baptized the same day Gacy gets lethally injected. That's bizarre. Nah, you know, who am I to talk about somebody's religion? I can't really see Dahmer as a good Christian. Yeah, I that's, I don't know. I mean, it, I don't know. I kind of read about that too. And like from all indications, like he, that was like legit from his side. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard for us to buy into stuff like that because how could somebody do something so devoid of any type of humanity or attachment to any type of compassion whatsoever and then when you're in prison, oh, so if I do this, I'm forgiven, and that guy will, I can go to heaven still? Oh, okay, cool. Even after I've done all the stuff I've done? Yeah. Like, I don't know, bro. Yeah, it, it, which, I mean, basically, like the priest tells him in the show, I mean, that's what grace is, essentially, right? So. Yeah, bro. Yeah, but that that's that's hard for us humans to wrap our mind around because we're just little humans. Yes, that is true. That's all we are. <laughs> So we move forward here, and before we check in with Todd Archer, our ESPN NFL Cowboys insider, and, and have a conversation with him looking ahead to the Cowboys and some of the things happening out there at the Star, I wanted to jump into a little college football because kind of mentioned this in passing, talking about the State Fair. This was at the beginning of the year. I mean, we, we can go back to the last week of August, right before the beginning of college football season. October 8th was a Saturday that a lot of people circled on their calendar. Texas OU in Dallas. Texas A&M on the road at Bryant-Denny in Alabama is going to be a good one. We didn't know at the time. And again, keep in mind, we didn't know any of this at the time. Ohio State on the road at Michigan State. Oh, that might be Mel Tucker. Man, he's turning them around. They had a great season last year. 
And now here we are, and we are looking ahead to the two best games of the of the week. Utah on the road at UCLA. <laughs> and undefeated TCU on the road at undefeated Kansas is the highlight game of the week. And I'm rooting hard for those Kansas Jayhawks. Man, who isn't? And, and that is... I, I don't think, because, I mean, who who would, right? Nobody pays attention, and then Lance Leipold comes around, and this is a dude who they hired from Buffalo, and all this guy does is win everywhere he's gone. And he was a dude that was reached down into the depths of, of college football. He built a dominant powerhouse of a program at his alma mater, Wisconsin-Whitewater. Some of you oh, may may know was, them. He was he was that guy, huh? He was the guy that won six national championships at Division Three with Wisconsin Whitewater in eight years. Six titles in eight years. They played for the championship seven times in his eight years there. And again, eight years. And I know it's Division Three. I don't it's give a Mountain crap. They play play probably playing Mountain Union every year. In eight years at Wisconsin Whitewater. He went 109-6. and six. Damn. He lost six games in eight years. Then he goes to Buffalo. Buffalo is a nothingness, a, 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 Mac, a mid-American conference team. He was at Buffalo for six years. When he arrived, they went 5-7 and seven and 10-2. and two. He turned them, or 2-10. and 10. He turned them in four years into a team that won 10 games. And his last season there, the COVID year, they were 6-1 and because that's all they played. They won their bowl game, and they finished ranked in the AP Top 25. Jeez. Kansas. We get to Kansas. Lance Leipold's in his second season at Kansas. For those of you that don't know how bad Kansas Jayhawks football has been, this is a Kansas program. When we talk about we make fun of them and all that type of thing, Kansas had not won more than three games in a season since 2009. That's a long time, bro. Kansas is currently 5-0. and The last time Kansas won five games in a season was 2009. If Kansas beats TCU on Saturday, they will have won more games than they have won in a season since Mark Mangino went 8-5 in 2008. And they're already and they're halfway through it and could easily win more. It's incredible what he has done. He went 2-10 last year, and they have a chance to be 6-0 and in his second season. Bro. It's incredible. Some guys, some guys know how to do it, man. Some guys are program builders. And the thing about it is, is um, you know, sadly for Kansas, uh, I doubt that he's there more than this year. I'd be shocked if he's there next year. This is a team. Kansas has not finished better than ninth or 10th in the Big 12 since 2010. Dang, that's a long time. They have finished in dead last in the Big 12 in seven consecutive years. And they are about to, I mean, all those things, when you look at this and you've got a guy who can come in here that's a proven winner, all he's done everywhere he's gone is build programs and turn them around. Whether it was at the Division Three level, the Group of Five level, now he's doing it at Kansas in the Power Five level. And you got to think that some of these programs that are out there, like in Nebraska or a Colorado, have got to be salivating and would be more than willing to open the pocketbooks. What does it take to get you to come here and do that? Yeah, for real. And, you know, that's why I said sad thing for Kansas. They spent all this time trying to get good. He's going to leave, and now you got to hope that, you know, either you hire a guy who can replicate it or keep in place what he started, or you hope that you can hire the man next to the man, and that guy can do it. 
Yeah, because Kansas, I mean, it's, you know, and even to some degree, TCU, what they're doing, I mean, they're 5-0 and as well. And, and you look at Sonny Dykes in year one at TCU. I got to say, I mean, you look around college football, I'm not surprised TCU beat Oklahoma. I'm surprised they were up 48-17 to at the beginning of the third quarter against Oklahoma. Yeah, that's a shock. And Brent Venables, who's a defensive guy, comes in, and there was a lot. It was interesting. Through the first three weeks of the season, I even talked to my dad about it. He said, oh, that defense, it looks a little better than it has been. But they hadn't played anybody. They played no one their first three weeks. Then what happens the last two games? They give up over 500 yards of offense to K-State and lose. They gave up over 600 yards to TCU and lose. And all of a sudden, Oklahoma plummets from a preseason number 10 ranking to out of the top 25 completely. Dude, how about that? It's weird, man. It sets up, I was telling you this, that Texas OU game, this is the first time since 1998 that neither Texas or OU is ranked in the top 25. First time in 24 years they're playing this game as both unranked teams. No, which probably means it'll be a great game. <laughs> Very uh, well might. Very well might know, be. Really, really exciting game. Probably uh, be a bit of a high-scoring game. Uh, you know, let's hope for some fun. But, yeah. Uh, they better get their act together before they head over there to the SEC. Yeah, they might want to do that. I mean, you look at some of the games they've had in recent years, and yeah, Oklahoma's won four in a row, but you even go back to that 2018 game, you know, Dicker the kicker, where he hit that field goal, and you look at the games in recent memory in this series, this is how wild this series has been really in the last several years. This has been a one-score game every year since 2014 and then 2018 was i'm talking about the actual october game because somebody's going to be like oh they played in, in, in the big 12 championship and it wasn't a one score game i'm talking about the game in the cotton bowl the actual mid-october game the last time that that game was not a one score game was 2013 ever since then you had 31 26 24 17 45 to 40 29 24 48-45, the last time Texas won the Dicker the Kicker game. 34-27. The four-overtime game a couple of years ago when Caleb Williams had to come in, and it were trying to remember, maybe that wasn't, no, last year was the Caleb Williams game, but the four-overtime game from two years ago, 53-45, and then the game last year where Caleb Williams comes in, and Texas is up by 21, and it ends up being a 55-48 Oklahoma win. I mean, these have been some really phenomenally competitive games in the last several years. No, fantastic games. That's why I said there'll be a, probably be another high-scoring, explosive game uh, that'll be fun to watch. And, uh, you know, maybe it can propel one of these two teams to, uh, you know, keep their season on track and uh, make a move at the end of it. Yeah, you got to hope so. And, and then the other game that was supposed to be the highlight game of the weekend, that A&M-Alabama game, you know, A&M beating them last year, all that crap that happened in the offseason between Fisher and Saban, and Alabama's a 24-point favorite against an A&M team that lost to Appalachian State and really was never competitive against Mississippi State last weekend. And it's a game that you look at A&M and you're like, man, I mean, 24 points may not be enough. No, uh, I have two points on this game. Number one, Nick ain't forgotten none of the stuff Jimbo was talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, trust me, he's reminded his players this week. Very true. One way, shape, form, or another. Uh, what A&M is all about, what A&M has said about his program, about, you know, even if he goes into how they had to buy their recruits to try to match up with us, uh, 
So that's number one, man. And number two, dog, is, uh, you know, man, I don't know that it, this Alabama team doesn't seem to be as good as recent versions. Um, whether it's whatever happened in Texas or, you know, a couple uh, weeks ago. Or was it last week they were in a closer game than expected? Uh, I mean, no, they were up big against Arkansas and then let them get back within about, you know, a touchdown or so. Yeah, it got within five, yeah. Yeah, I think they were up 28 nothing or something like that. They, they were, yeah. to be 28-23, yep. and then they pulled away. That doesn't sound to me like vintage Alabama. Um, and so I'm interested to see this game, to see because if, it's, if, if they can play as well as they can play, oh, well, hell, dude, is their quarterback playing this week? They do not know yet. I it, it from what I kind of hear, it sounds like he probably will miss this week, and that Jalen Milrow. But to be fair, Jalen Milrow was the quarterback when they put up thirty-five of their forty-nine points against Arkansas. Okay, so you know, yeah, I mean, it's 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 the latest. He's not a five-star, but he is a dude, and they say that he's like the second fastest guy on the team. All right, all right. Um, so anyway, I just want to see Alabama play. This is a good test. Uh, I, I don't believe in the Aggies. I don't think anybody who matters does. And uh, we'll see if they can surprise us again. Well, ever since Texas A&M went into Tuscaloosa in 2012 and beat them that, that year, that Johnny Manziel year, here are the scores of the games in Tuscaloosa since that time. 59 to nothing, 33 to 14, 45 to 23, 52 to 24. These have not been remotely competitive in Tuscaloosa, like you're talking about. Saban doesn't forget. And to that point, I don't know how many people will remember this, but before last year, before they the season of 2021, Jimbo Fisher said that they were going to beat his ass. That he was right. going to beat his ass. Now, they ended up actually winning that game, but back before the season even began last year, Nick Saban was told about that, was told, hey, Jimbo said he was going to beat your ass. And Nick Saban's response was what? In what? Golf? <laughs> now, Jimbo Fisher and AM went out and beat Alabama last year. On Monday, when Nick Saban had his weekly press conference just a couple of, or just yesterday as we record this, Nick Saban showed up to that press conference for the first time that anybody could remember, not wearing an Alabama shirt. He was wearing a Masters golf collared shirt. <laughs> And it just kind of like hardly anybody picked up on that. But those of us that did, some people go, man, is that? And I was like, I guarantee you that's Nick Troll. That's Nick Saban trolling saying, I remember. Oh, yeah, bro. So I, I think that this one might get ugly as hell on Saturday and that A&M might be about to get wiped off the field. I just think it's funny if it happens. I think it, it it's. And they got a problem, man. They're, they're going to have a problem because if AM loses this game, they're three and three. It's not like their schedule magically gets easier. They still got to play five SEC games. I mean, they, they play Florida this year, and that's an improved Florida team. They still got to play Ole Miss, who's pretty damn good. And they still got to play an improving LSU team. I, it, this is. <laughs> I would not be surprised if, if, if Alabama beats them. You know, you make a case that that best case they're they're seven and five this year. You'd want them. You'd want to be a little better than seven and five for a coach who's got a ninety million dollar contract and uh, for all that money to collective spin on players. Yeah, man. I mean, that is. And I've had arguments with Aggie fans like, "Oh, you just hate the Aggies." I'm like, "Are you like you should be infuriated if you are an Aggie fan 
you should be pissed that five years into this thing, this is what you're getting from your coach is this. You're dead last in the SEC in offense. You're dead last in scoring offense. The Jimbo Fisher is a is an offensive guy. The average FBS team, there's 131 teams in the FBS. If you go and you take like whoever's 67th, they average 32 points a game. Texas A&M is putting up 22. They are 10 points behind an average FBS offense. Not good enough, and he's the OC. Yeah, man, that's... So people are, oh, you just hate A&M. Okay, well, if that's what you're satisfied with and you're not pissed off too, I don't know what to tell you, man. Because if that was my team, I'd be livid. And I was when it was Texas doing that. <laughs> we'll no, see I how it turns out, man. But but it, it's, it's a, I mean, college football, what a wonky year. And did you realize, you probably knew this, because I was looking at this earlier, Ohio State, Michigan State, not only has Ohio State won six in a row in that series, they haven't lost in East Lansing since 1999. Oh, it's been that long? Yeah. See, I didn't realize that because, uh, you know, traditionally we may not have lost, but they've given us some some really good games because, uh, you know, they've been built around defense. And when D'Antonio was there, of course, yeah, you know, they were always just very competitive. Yeah, and that's one of those things, man. I mean, again, this was an 11-2 and Michigan State team last year. At the beginning of the year, that was the first game that Ohio State that we all circled like, ooh, that'll be interesting. There's no way. Ohio State's favored by 25-and-a-half in that game on the road at Michigan State. Yeah, no, we're playing pretty good right now. Yeah, I, 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 if you wanted to say they're the best team in the country, I wouldn't fight you on it. It's either them or Alabama right now, especially after what George has done recently. Mm, I think uh, I, I, would, I would put it like this. And I don't think I'm breaking any news here. I would put those three, and I might put, uh, I don't think Michigan is explosive. That's why I don't put them up as high. I think Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, you could put them in a hat right now. And uh, I'd be cool with however you had those three ranked. Yeah, and I hope, I'm, I'm hoping we get to see, a, like I would love to see an Alabama-Ohio State national title game. That would be, I think, nowhere near what we saw a couple of years ago when they met. I think it'd be a little different. And I don't think it'd have been like that if Trey Sermon had been able to stay healthy and play. I don't know that we'd have won, but he was in the zone right then. Uh, Coming off 300 yards against uh, Northwestern and, Mm. you know, whatever he did, he killed Clemson. And um, to get hurt on the first play, we were like, ah. No balance. That's a bad combination against uh, Alabama. It is indeed. All right, before we jump in with Todd Archer, let's tell you real quick about HFX Foundation Solutions. You guys, full-service foundation repair company. The summer that you experienced in North Texas, that heat, all that rain, if you are noticing some cracks, sticking doors, that type of thing, just give them a call. It's a free, no-obligation inspection. Aaron and his guys, they'll come out. It's a family-owned company. They're going to take care of you like they take care of your of their family. HFX Foundation Solutions, my friend, 817-770-0174. Give them a call. Get that colonoscopy. And they don't even have to shove a camera up your butt to make sure that your foundation's okay. No, but you want peace of mind, and they will give it to you. That's why you should get Aaron and his team a call over there at HFX. Uh, you know, peace of mind works for everybody. Works even better when you don't have to worry about your foundation, especially... When you've gone through the heat that we had and the water that we had after that, man, all that shifting, all that movement, make sure your house is cool. Aaron and his team is the team to do it. 817-770-0174 or online at hfxfoundation.com. All right, let's check in now. We do it each and every week here. Our ESPN NFL Nation Cowboys reporter, 
Todd Archer joining us. And Arch, Cowboys are three and one. They have won three games in a row. Cooper Rush is the new greatest quarterback in Cowboys history. <laughs> what, what do we make of this team about a quarter of the way through the season sitting on three and one? I didn't see him at three and one after losing Dak. Uh, and Jerry Jones didn't see them at three and one after losing Dak. So give everybody credit. And from Cooper Rush to Kellen Moore to Dan Quinn to the players on the defense, the offensive line. Uh, let's see how many more I can name before we actually get to Coach McCarthy. Mike McCarthy probably getting some credit <laughs> here too. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is if you want to be a good team, you got to win games when you don't have everybody. And this is a team that obviously hasn't had Dak, Tyron Smith, played three different left guards. Who else am I missing here? Uh, but their nickel corner, Jordan Lewis gets hurt in pregame, pregame warmups. Have to play a rookie, Deron Bland, who hadn't seen a snap on defense all year. He gets a pick against Washington. So, yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a good start to, to the season based on all of those factors, probably a very good start to the season based on all those factors. And I know a lot of people want to anoint Philadelphia as the team to beat because they're the last unbeaten team. Well, the combined record of the Eagles opponents is seven and nine. The combined record of the Cowboys opponents is eight and eight. So what are we doing here? If the Cowboys aren't good enough, why are we, and they, they, they're not very good. They played bad teams. Well, what are we saying about the Eagles then? Why aren't we using that same logic against them? Because it's the Cowboys. Um, <laughs> now, that being said, I think we'll find out a ton about them in the next two weeks or so. I'm looking forward to that, uh, just to see how they go. But as we Matt, look at the Matt, this is offense, where Jacques says, hold on, Matt, this is where Jacques says, you want to impress me win these games. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, Jacques. That's right, motherfuckers. Do it. Whoa. Impress me. Impress me, bitches. Get the dubs. Not just one. Get the dubs. Uh, nah, I've got that out of the way. Um, Cooper Rush. What do we think about him? He's going to be starting for somebody next year? He's going to be the Cowboys' backup next year? What do we think? If I'm the Cowboys, I'm looking at doing a deal with him now to extend his contract. So I know I've solidified my backup position for 2022 if, if Dak gets hurt again or 23, 24, 25, whatever, however long that contract's going to be, uh, to know that you're good there. You don't want to go into a season with questions, and he's answered them all. So I would try and, if I'm the Cowboys, I would try and sign him to a, a reasonable extension now. Now, if I'm Cooper Rush, are you better off waiting, seeing what happens? Personally, and maybe it's just my own bias involved with this one, but I don't think a team is going to go to Cooper Rush at the end of the season and say, be our starting quarterback, be our bridge starter as we draft a young guy to develop. I don't see that happening. I, you know, I don't know if Green Bay thought that would have happened with Matt Flynn years ago when he went to Seattle. And, oh, by the way, the Seahawks ended up starting Russell Wilson as a rookie anyway. If I'm Cooper Rush, I would know that I'm in a good spot with this offense behind Dak, a guy, let's be honest, he's been hurt the last three years, he's missed games, uh, that you'll have an opportunity potentially to play. And you like it here, you like the offense, you like the players, they like you, all that stuff. Seems to be a good good way to make a deal work somehow, some way. Now I'm with you. I'd go ahead and uh, I'd ask for about, what's a good number for him, Matt? I mean, um, Ty? Yeah, you know, I was kicking that around with somebody and I'd have to look at some other 
contracts of guys, and especially when you factor in $40 million quarterbacks and stuff, but $2.5 million a year. And then if he plays, you have incentives for wins and yards and touchdowns and things like that uh, based on play time and things. I, there's, but I think the base numbers two and a half, three. Uh, you know, I, yeah, maybe I it's it more than be. that. I think it might be a little bit more than that. Not a whole lot more, just a little bit more. So maybe more three, like, more like three, three and a half. Three and a half. Yeah, three and a half is a good, yeah. is a better number. I mean, I can be, yeah, I can be talked into that, I guess, as well. And again, if you're a team, you don't want to be stuck with not knowing anything about your your backup quarterback. Now I say that the Cowboys had Cooper Rush as Dak's backup in 2017 and 18, right? And 19, I guess too. When we didn't really know anything about him. So yeah, but that, that seems to be the, you know, two and a half, three and a half, somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah, that's about right. I mean, when you look at, I think, some of the other backup quarterbacks that you'd be comfortable with if you wanted to go that route of investing in somebody that's kind of a veteran like he is, I think it makes sense that you would pay him to stay around. And like you guys are talking about, to me, if you're Cooper Rush, it, it would make sense. Maybe you can get the Cowboys to do what, like a three-year deal or something like that where you feel comfortable, hey, we're going to keep you around for a couple of years, and it gives him some security that he's never really had in his career before. Yeah. Right, and and that's that's you have to make it sweet enough for him to say, all right, I don't want to wait until next March to see what might be out there, which could be greater, and you don't want to make it so low where he's like, why would I sign that? I'll just wait until March and see what else I can get. Um, so yeah, there, there's a middle ground there, and I think maybe I'm not being. This is why I'm like awful at my own negotiations on these things because I was like, yeah, that's reasonable, but like instead you should. Go what you can get when you can get it. So maybe he's better served to just wait until see see for sure if let's think of a team off the top of our head that's going to be looking for a quarterback. Carolina, does Carolina with a new coaching staff and everything go and say, okay, we got to draft a guy and he'd be a good guy to get for a year to bridge it to the to the next dude. You know, again, I'm just throwing out stuff I don't know what I'm mm. talking about, which is usual, but um, yeah, I mean if. Look, the Cowboys in, in the past have had a history of doing these kind of deals of, like, buying early, and sometimes it's worked out and sometimes it's not. But now that, you know, I'm not saying they wait. I think players have gotten in, gotten used to, like, I'm going to bet on myself here and see what happens. And it's kind of worked out. Obviously, it worked out well for Dak by waiting and getting the contract he got. But I also think the Cowboys, look, even if you sign Cooper Rush, with Dak's contract, you're going to have to start thinking about the next starting quarterback anyway, early in the draft. So there's a whole bunch of paths we can go down on the Cowboys quarterback situation with Dak, with Cooper Rush, with an early draft pick this year, next year, and the following year. Well, some of that depends on, and here we go down the rabbit hole, when you start talking to Dak and what his next number looks like. Because, bro, that's only like a year from now. Right. And that, that's the whole reason why the Cowboys wanted to do a long, longer-term deal with him and not four years because they knew they were going to be in this situation. His, his cap number next year, unless stuff has changed from the summer, and if it has, I apologize, he's got the second-largest cap number in 23 and 24 behind Deshaun Watson. So, you know, you have to start thinking about extending that out if you, choose, if you want to. Um, 
just for salary cap purposes, even if the cap's going to go up, but it's not going to get the huge bump that everybody's thinking. Or you have to start thinking about the next guy. Because it's not just Dak you're going to have to sign. you got to sign Trayvon Diggs. you got to sign Micah Parsons. you got to sign C.D. Lamb. All that stuff's hard to do when your quarterback is taking up whatever that percentage is of the cap on a $40 million contract. Now, mm. does Dak say – there's two, two points. Does Dak say, I got my $160 million guaranteed, whatever the next contract is, hey, man, that's gravy, I'll do the team-friendly deal. No. And if you're the Cowboys, we've mentioned this stat before, there are three quarterbacks since 1980 that have started more than six years on their original team and taken or take, gone to the Super Bowl for the first time. Matt, uh, Matt Ryan, Peyton Manning, Ken Anderson. That's it. So odds tell me that it's better for a team to start over mm. with a rookie quarterback under this system and fill in all the spots around them the way the Cowboys inadvertently did in 2016 with Dak when he took over for Omaha. And they didn't clearly didn't take advantage of that window over that three-plus years. Yeah, that it, it tends to lead you to that belief. When we look at just right now in the situation that they're in, outside of Cooper Rush, who has probably surprised all of us, what has surprised you the most about this team being 3-1 and one and where they're at right now? You know, I, I don't know if Tyler Smith playing as well as he has at left tackle might be a surprise because he did took zero snaps there this summer uh he was only playing left guard he's done he his his success has married the team success in my mind no one saw them being three and one and no one saw him playing as well as he has at left tackle but you know as far as the rest of it like i think we thought the defense would be good maybe not doomsday good the way they've been but we knew that they were going to have to ride their defense to have success whether Dak was healthy or not uh so that's not really a surprise is it maybe the points per game is a surprise but we knew they were going to be good I, I, I honestly besides Tyler Smith give me something else but Donovan Wilson uh, I mean okay but how critical you know <laughs> yeah I, I can't think of anything else that's really surprising because we knew the formula that these guys had to play again even when Dak was healthy to have success and a big part of that was going to be reliant on that defense and they've come through well, let's take it a step further. Do you think whenever Dak comes back, whether it's, I guess we're looking at Philadelphia or whether it's the game after that, do you think right. they will continue to try to win with defense and special teams? <laughs> I thought you were just going to pause. Do you think they continue to try to win? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think they will continue to try to win. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm sorry for my uh, dramatic pauses. <laughs> um, yes, this is their, this has to be their formula. Like, and I don't think they have a Cooper Rush game plan and a Dak Prescott play game plan. I, I I truly don't. Now I think there are things that Dak can and Dak talked about it. How about how simple the game can be and you succeed. And maybe you know we'll see what happens when he comes back. But I I don't think you're going to see the Cowboys going from. Don't tell me what I I couldn't give you the rush average, but to go from this rushing formula, control the possessions, maximize that. I don't think you're going to see them get away from what they've been the last three games because I think that was their formula they intended to have coming into the season um, with Dak as their healthy quarterback. They, they, This was not going to be last year's offense where you threw it so much with all those guys, uh, with Amari, Cedric Wilson, CeeDee Lamb, Schultz, all this stuff. Um 
I, I think this is their formula for success. It's it's run the ball, control the time of possession, and maximize big plays, maximize possessions, and have a kick-ass defense. Why change I think, it? I think we left out one thing, bro, which is Cooper Rush has been a beneficiary. Play with a lead. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. They've spent most of the last three games playing with a lead, and when they didn't have it, Against the Giants, he went right. Exactly, he went back. And even against Washington, they Washington they came. Didn't Washington take the lead seven six? You know what they did. The Cowboys, yeah, they came right back. The next possession scored a touchdown. So yeah, they they've done a good job of answering answering the bell, and that'll be interesting this week against the Rams, because even though we saw what happened to them on Monday, that's a better offense than what. The, what Washington and what the Giants have been the last two weeks. And I, I still can't. I'm watching that game last night, and all I have is Bill Parcells in my head think, you can take away wide receivers. Okay, you just need <laughs> to double them, and they can't do anything. <laughs> How does Cooper Cup still get targeted 88 times? Like, yeah. just take the dude away. Like, it's, it's, the, it's the damnest thing. Uh, it, mm-hmm. Or maybe they're just content with, like, you know, I saw at one point he was like, Averaging less than ten yards a catch. Are they just saying, "Well, we'll give you the eight, eight, nine, ten yard stuff. We just won't give anything up over the top." No, I think so. You know, um, I spend a lot of time at Jackson State for some projects I'm working on, and I was talking to Dennis Thurman, who is Jackson State's defense coordinator, who's defense coordinator with uh, the Jets and the Bills for I think a total of four years. But we were having that same conversation about a week ago, man. And he said what you said and what Parcell said, Arch. He goes. I can literally just decide that this guy's not going to beat me. And he said, I've done that several times in my career. And we lost because other guys stepped up and had huge games. And he was like, I was okay with it. I just decided that this guy here, whoever that star was, he just wasn't going to do it. And so I think that's what teams are doing, man. They're just like, you're going to have to find some other way to beat us. And if you throw it to him 12 times, well, then you're it's kind of like you're banging. No, that was that that was that damn sparkling water came up and I didn't I, I had no answer for it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was watermelon Waterloo. In case Does the GM session have a, an official uh, seltzer water uh, sponsor? No, but we it should. Ain't like, it ain't from lack of effort. I mean, um, I'm sorry, you got me riled up right there, Arch. Sorry. The My point bad. being, um, I think he's right. You can take away any one person or. You could do like Washington. We're not. You ain't running today. We've decided that's not happening. Go beat us another way. And to the Cowboys' credit, I think against Washington, they still tried to run it. Not well, obviously, but they didn't just say "f it" and chuck it all, spread it out, and chuck it all over the place. It probably wouldn't have been good either. So uh, maybe that's a growth that we've seen in, in Kellen Moore. But again, for this week, like I watched the Rams' offensive line, and I kept last night. I kept thinking, "Wow, Cowboys should have a pretty good day here against that offensive line." You know what I'm saying? Like, huh, Cowboys can match up pretty good with them outside. They should be pretty good against their tight end. And now all of a sudden it's Monday night and I'm thinking, God damn, Cooper Rush is going to get the freaking 5-0 as a starting quarterback. <laughs> like, this is, how, this is how you start thinking when, you know, we talked about before, when you win in the NFL, you never think you're going to lose a game. And when you lose in the NFL, you never think you're going to win a game again. And, and the Cowboys, with the way they're playing, you're thinking about, oh, Crap, they did it this way. They'll just continue to keep going. Here's my only caveat, and I'll throw this in for both of y'all. I thought the same thing as you, Arch, when I was watching the game, and then I thought, you know, this is a division game. San Francisco has seen all these 
all these running plays and how they're married to the passing game. And it just, you know, for them, it's much more about execution than being fooled. Whereas the Cowboys still don't see him enough to really have the same type of handle. And so you could get a different result. No, yeah, no question, right? But, uh, but I think we're at the point now where we got to start looking at the Cowboys front, however many guys you want to add up in, in that, that group and say, this is among the elite groups in the NFL. Whether Mike is on the line, not on the line, whatever it's going to be, like, there's a lot of dudes that they roll in there that can get to the quarterback. I mean, there's seven guys that record at least one sack. So, you know, and I think of that San Francisco front, and there's good players in there, and I think they were missing one or two as well. But obviously, Bose is the, the, the linchpin to that group. Um, but I just kept noting, you know, they're not a defense that likes to blitz and bring guys, but the Tamiko Ryan started bringing guys, and, and it gave them trouble. So, you know, Dan Quinn can dial up some stuff, and he can be aggressive if he wants to be with, with so many guys that I think that can neutralize a lot of offenses, provided you're, it's a little bit we talked about. Provided you're you're in the in the lead or it's a one possession game, because the, they do seem to be susceptible to the run a, a little bit. You know they got much better in the second half against Washington, but back to back games with thirty yard rushes they've given up. If a quarterback has some mobility, we saw Daniel Jones make some plays. Wentz was just getting rid of the ball early. He wasn't going to even run around very much, but they're going to face some running quarterbacks. Obviously, Jalen Hurts is the, probably the best running quarterback in the NFL. All right, I got to throw Lamar Jackson in there. But, you know, they're going to be challenged in that respect from the quarterbacks with how they pressure. they got to be much more probably disciplined in their approach uh, as they get going. But this week against Stafford, again, he can move, but he's not looking to run. He's looking to move to throw. So, Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because the Rams at 2-2, two and two, their two losses – they couldn't get anything going against Buffalo and they couldn't really get anything going against San Francisco. And I don't see either one of those defenses as being colossally better than Dallas. Maybe the other side of that is that Dallas is just as good as those defenses. Then you look at their two wins with Atlanta and Arizona and they lit them up more so through the air. And they like the Rams have really kind of struggled to run the football so far at all against anybody this season. And that kind of leads me to wonder if this is like you're talking about, Todd, with the front of what the Cowboys can do. How much is Cooper Cup going to be able to beat you? Because this this is not what the Rams once were. They don't they're not loaded with all these weapons that you fear outside of Cooper Cup. Well, and that's I don't I don't get how Allen Robinson's really not being been used yet. Uh, you know, Higby had a good start to the game, but again, you kind of you'll kind of give that up. You just don't want to get to give up the big plays, right? So you'll give the tight end some things. Um, yeah. The, the, maybe this will be the week that Allen Robinson goes off for, for the Rams. Um, but Skoranek, they got him playing fullback. They're like, you're really worried about a wide receiver that lines up at fullback taking out your linebacker? I hope not. I don't know. Just, there's an opportunity here for the Cowboys to win this game that, after the Tampa Bay game, I don't think anybody would have said, oh, they got a chance to beat the Rams. Now, after these three weeks, you go, well, yeah, they can beat the Rams. <laughs> what a picking? season. Uh, we don't have to pick games this year, so. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't ask you if you had to. I just said, are you? Uh, you know, I still got some research to do. It's early in the week yet. It's only Tuesday. I got to oh. turn my film study to do. And, uh, yeah. 
Now, let me tell line? you, that's a fine answer right there. That is a fine quality answer from a Dodger. Fine, <laughs> yeah. fine from answer. From a Dodger. That that <laughs> what's what's I mean, the spread? Rams by what? I don't know. I haven't looked to see. You're a degenerate. How have you not looked? <laughs> Rams by four and a half. <laughs> okay. I see he I, had it on his fingertips. Cowboys cover, at least. Okay, I'll buy that. They're playing a bunch of tight ball games. I'll buy that. Yeah, that works. Cowboys win. I mean, I'm taking it. If they're going to cover four and a half, they might as well win. And they'll have a lot of fans at that stadium, despite it being a Rams home game. Yeah, that's true. It's going to be interesting. What What's the deal with McQuaid and the torn triceps and how they're going to handle that? I, they're just long snappers are just out there for the for the get, I, guess, I suppose. Dude. Yeah. Before well, you answer they've that. Added, okay. Were you, I can't remember because Arch has been there so long now. Were you there? The year they went through four long snappers because they couldn't find one, and it ended up with Tim Cedar no. having a broken leg. Uh, no, I was there when LP lot of sort of signing the uh, at San Jose State for the practices in 2005. After when they played the Raiders and Niners back to back week, and he held the job for the next 253 games. So <laughs> I, I did not have to go through the four deep snappers uh, situation, but they're, they're no. signing two guys to the practice squad. Uh, Hold on, I got the names right here. Those was, that was part of the text messages. Uh, Matt Overton, who was on the Rams practice squad a couple weeks ago, and a dude named Tucker Addington. They'll be both added to the practice squad. Will Greer will likely come up be the added. Will take McQuaid's spot on the active roster because he's out of standard elevations, which tells you that Zach's not going to play this week or be the backup, obviously. Um, so they'll the, theoretically they would have six weeks out of both of those long snappers before he'd have to add a guy to the 53 on the new practice squad rules. So there you go. And now I don't want to make too much of it or too little of it because Maher's doing really well. It's 10 of 11 anger besides the side footer there that went 22 yards. He's off to a really good start. Uh, so you don't really want to have to mess with your special teams, but Jim Fossil, you're the expert. Jim Fossil, John Fossil, you're the expert. Coach him up and get him to go. Yeah, true, true, true. I mean, there's some long snappers out there. It's just that, uh, dude, I was scarred by the year that he used four, man. It's, so it's always in my memory when they don't have one or one that's done it for a minute that we all think it's, yeah, let's just go get a dude until, as I like yeah. to say all the time, it's all good till it ain't. I do wonder if the rule changes have helped that, though, because you can't line a guy up over the top of the long snapper and just kill him. So right. maybe that helps the guy's uh, – mental stability and making the snap is that you don't have to worry about just getting blitzed every single time. So, but it, Matt Overton has snapped in games. Uh, again, he's been in someone's, he was in a training camp. He was on a practice squad just a couple weeks ago. So I would assume he'd be the guy in the lead at the moment, but I haven't really gone that far to double check that long snapper rabbit hole. Slacker. With, with, yeah. yeah. I got to do that. I got to do the jam session podcast. Yeah. Sorry. God, sorry. We're taking it up. But with Jason Peters on the offensive line, I think he played, what was it, 15 in the, the first time around? He played 21 snaps this past week. Is that kind of the plan? Just kind of a few more snaps as they go along, or is it just going to be a rotation? That's a great question. I think it's part of a ramp up process for him. So think about like the Giants game was his first preseason game. The last week was the second preseason game, and now you're going into the dress rehearsal preseason game if you use the old preseason vernacular form. So I think you'll see that maybe increase where he's getting some time. But And theoretically, he takes over as the starting role against Philadelphia, which wouldn't that be 
something that <laughs> yeah. the former Eagles first start for the Cowboys will be coming against this former team. Um, Delicious. You know, it's not like McGovern playing poorly. Now he had some moments that weren't good in that game, and but so did everybody in that line, and, and including there were some poor moments for for Peters in that game too. So I, I think they look at themselves like they're in a good spot at left guard right now between both of those guys that they don't have to make a call unless they want to. And I don't know if they want to yet, to be to be quite honest with you. Hey, let me ask you this, bro. How much credit you giving McCarthy for this three and O stretch? Yeah, that's uh, you know I know you wrote about that last week before everybody. You know, it's typical Jock Taylor getting ahead of everybody on that stuff. Um, that's that why it's my, my guy right here. That's why it's my <laughs> guy. Yeah. <laughs> All and, right. You know, sometimes you say things in jest, but I would say um, <laughs> he has look. The other let's let's before I answer that let's flip it to the other side. If they're one and three or zero oh and four, huh. everybody's calling for the guy's job. Easily. So he deserves credit for what the Cowboys have been able to do, as I stated at the top, without all these guys, uh, and not only guys but key guys. Like when Tyron Smith went out, that was that was an awful scenario. That was the, that was the worst scenario they could have had on their offensive line. Now, Tyron's going to get hurt at some point during the season, but to have him go out before they even played a game, terrible. Dak getting hurt in the fourth quarter of the opener, terrible situation. Um, you, you lost your leading tackler from a year ago in the opener. Darren Curse hasn't played since then. Terrible situation. So McCarthy deserves credit for how this team has adapted and overcome and, and all that. So if he's going to get all the blame when they lose, then he should get a good portion of the credit for when they win. But it's the structure of how the Cowboys have set this thing up that makes it hard to give him credit the same way we didn't know how much credit Jason Garrett deserved in 2014, in 2016, in 2018. But we sure as hell gave him plenty of grief in 2015, 2017, and 2019 as opposed to the other year. Oh, well, but he was still calling the plays. So, Jerry has set the situation up where the head coach is marginalized because he's not calling plays to what was that guy's specialty to that point. We know he's not involved on the other side of the ball. And game management, there have been issues, right? So this is the setup that Jerry has created where no one really knows what the head coach does, so no one wants to give him proper credit. And it's, it's a, I'm not going to feel bad for a guy that's making, I don't know, Seven to eight million dollars a year as the head coach. I'm not going to feel bad for that, but there's certainly a you know, it certainly sucks that you're only getting you're going to get your head kicked in, and you're not going to reap any of the benefits when your team does well. Fair enough, I would say. I mean that that's the way that it goes being the head coach of the Cowboys. Todd Archer, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for doing it. Thanks, yep, bro. you got it, guys. All right, talk to you next week. See you. There he is, Todd Archer, ESPN Zone, bringing it. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy. 
Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.